Lord, we deserve nothing but your wrath, but yet you're so gracious and loving that you sent your son to die for us. And as we live about our days, may we constantly be reminded of that truth, that all that we are, we are because of what you've done. Lord, may you continue to renew our minds and sanctify our hearts. May we have a greater desire to love you. We live in such a way that reflects the truth of the gospel, Lord. Give us attentiveness this morning, and may the Holy Spirit work in our lives so that we could be transformed to the image of your Son. We thank you in your Son's precious name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please open to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. I know it's been a while since I've preached on Sunday, uh, so I'm glad and grateful to be able to be back to continue on our little journey through the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, this morning we're going to look at verse 1 to 12. Solomon writes, For I have taken all this to my heart and explained it, that righteous men, wise men, and their deeds are in the hands of God. Man does not know whether it will be love or hatred. Anything awaits him. It is the same for all. There is one faith for the righteous and for the wicked, for the good for the clean and for the unclean, for the man who offers a sacrifice and for the one who does not sacrifice. As the the good man is, so is the sinner. As the swear is, so is the one who is afraid to swear. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that there is one fate for all men. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and insanity. It is in their hearts throughout their lives. Afterwards, they go to the dead. For whoever is joined with all the living, there is hope. Surely a live dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know they will die, but the dead do not know anything, nor have, any, nor have they any longer a reward, for their memory is forgotten. Indeed, their love, their hate, and their zeal have already perished, and they will no longer Have a share in all that is under the sun. Go then, eat your bread in happiness, and drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already approved your works. Let your clothes be white all the time, and let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which he has given to you under the sun. For this is your reward in life, And in your toil in which you have labored under the sun, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. I again saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, and the battle is not to the warriors, and neither is bread to the wise, nor wealth to the discerning, nor favor to men of ability. For time and chance overtake them all. Moreover, man does not know his time, like fish caught in a treacherous net and birds trapped in a snare. So the sons of men are ensnared at an evil time when it suddenly falls, upon, falls on them. <clears throat> I'm always amazed when I think about successful people and the endeavors that they have in life. 
you will find that some of the most wealthy people, some of the most successful people, some of even the conquerors in the past, inevitably they will try to conquer death. It seems to be some, something about these people, these successful people, these rulers in the past that have this obsession to conquer everything, and they know that the biggest problem in their life is death. So they try to try to overcome it one day. They think that they have the effort and the ability to do so. One emperor, Emperor Huang, he was the first emperor in the unified China. He thought that he can overcome death. And like all conquerors at the time, eventually they become obsessed with overcoming death. So he does something that everyone will eventually do. He decides to research on this topic. He decides to send his little minions to go all over to find if there is such a thing as a fountain of youth or something, some sort of journey that they need to go on to have immortality. And he knew that death was imminent for everyone, but he thought to himself, not me, I am going to... To, to figure out this problem. So he sends out his minions, but then he also thought, wait a minute, what if by the time they return, I'm dead? So he was wise enough to think of a plan B. He thought, well, maybe uh, I heard of this elixir. There's this elixir here that it may not give uh, eternal life, but it extends life. There's this elixir that he thought, well, maybe it's the second best thing, right? If I can't live forever, but at least maybe I could give some time to buy these little minions time to find the answer for me. What Emperor Huang did not realize was that this elixir that he drank was filled with mercury, and it killed him. He thought that he was going to live a lot longer. And of course, the greatest irony of all of that is that he died at the age of 30, 39. Now, if you know that you are going to die one day, how are you going to spend the rest of your life? You know that you're going to die, but what will you do? Will you squander it, or would you try your best to be like this emperor and try to find ways to either extend your life or to overcome death? We all know that death is certain for all of us, and sadly, sometimes Christians struggle with that. They struggle with it because they, don't, they forget that their lives are in the hands of God. Solomon tries to give us perspective here by telling us that this life is indeed short. It is a fleeting life. And Solomon gives us some tools in how to make the most of life, how we can live this life to its fullest potential. Because he knows, just like all of us will know one day, that death comes to all. And for some, it's sooner. And for others, it's later. Emperor Huang should have read from King Solomon's writing that life is but a fleeting breath. You can't conquer death, so stop trying. The Bible gives us clarity on the topic that people really hate, and that is the topic of death. You will die one day, and Solomon's prescription to that is that just enjoy the life that God has given you. The book of Ecclesiastes is written by King Solomon. He was in a lot of ways, the best king of Israel. He brought Israel to heights that they have never seen. Uh, he's able to do things that the world was just drawn and fascinated by. They wanted to know how is it possible that this one king has so much wisdom. And, it, and the reason why Solomon was so wise was because it was a gift from the Lord. The, God, the Lord gave him this unique ability to discern right and wrong. And he spent his entire life 
using it for pleasure. There was a time in the early part of his reign where he did so well. He did amazing things, but somewhere along the line, he thought that wasn't enough. He decided to give himself to sin. He, he lived for his own sinful pleasures. And Ecclesiastes, in a lot of ways, is written at the end of his life to talk about the things that he's learned. Some of these things are filled with regrets. Some of these are just life lessons. But he is giving us a report of all that he's found in this life. All that there is under the sun, he records it here. In chapter 1, he talks about how there is this, this meaningless of life where everything just goes in circles. Some things, uh, people forget what's going on in the past, so they redo it again, and it just repeats. It cycles all over again. In chapter 2, he talks about how he gave himself, he threw himself into every pleasure under the sun. Anything that you can think of, Solomon has, was able to do and, and did it without any hindrances. He enjoyed every type of pleasure that there is under the sun, and he found that at the very end of everything, that it was completely vain. <clears throat> Chapter 3, he talks about that even though humankind are, are living under the sun, they're still also confined to time. There is an extreme in life. There are times when there are birth, and there's time there's death, there's time of peace, and there's time of war. That's just the reality of living in the fallen world, and we're just caught up in the, between of it. There's these extremes, and we just go from one season to the next. Chapter 4 talks about how life is hard. Life is difficult. Sometimes it comes from oppression from outside, but life is hard. But it can be somewhat easier if you have other people in your life. That's better to have other people in your life so that you can endure together. Chapter 5, Solomon begins by talking about how before you approach God in worship, you need to be mindful of who you are in light of who God is. That when you enter worship, you shouldn't talk so much. Now, I know that's ironic because I'm a preacher, but the point is that even for me, I need to listen to God's word. Solomon's saying that all those who enter into the temple need to listen more than they speak. And chapter 5 ends with just the, the folly of riches. That you can have all the money in the world, but it's completely empty without God. Chapter 6 says, talk about the, the, the blessings of wealth. That even though, yes, there is a foolishness of trying to find all your happiness and wealth, but money does make things easier. That it's, and it gives us some practical wisdom on how we can live in this fallen world. Chapter 7, Solomon talks about if you were to choose between the good thing or the best thing, choose the best thing in, in life. There are things that on the surface that may seem like a good thing, and we might be drawn to that, but there are sometimes options that are the best, and we should go for those things. And the things that he, he lists are not things that we would normally decide to choose, like things like going to a house of mourning as opposed to a house of feasting. And that's because in the house of mourning, we think about eternal things. We become uh, more critical and sober in the way that we look at life. In chapter 8, he talks about how even though we are under the sun living in this world, we are sometimes under rulers. And we're called to obey these rulers. Even though, and the part of that is because we know that God is the one who placed those rulers above us. And sometimes these rulers are terrible, and you just have to accept that as fact, that living in a fallen world means that sometimes your governor, your president, your leaders are not going to be that great, and just accept that as a normal reality. And also, at the end of chapter 8, we talk about how sometimes even the citizens are, are corrupted, that even the people in the city can be evil, and we live in a world that's just filled with that. Now, chapter 9, he continues on with how we need to live in this fallen world. Now, this book assumes something about 
the listener or the reader. It assumes that you are someone that's striving and wanting to know Yahweh. It assumes that you actually want to be a faithful follower of God. This book is not a, a book for the non-believer. It's not written to be an evangelistic book to win those that are spiritually dead to life. Rather, it's for the evangelicals to live life before they die. So why do I bring this up? Because when you heard me read those 12 verses, if you just take it isolated away from the context of the entire book, it may sound very worldly. Like he's telling us things that we would not naturally be drawn to as Christians. But yet, <coughs> but yet Solomon is, is telling us that there is some value in living in this fallen world. If you're a non-believer, you're reading this, you think, I do this all the time. I eat all the time. I enjoy my life. I do whatever I want. And that's true. It is fun for a little while, but outside of the context of who God is, outside of fearing God, all of those temporal pleasures is going to be fleeting, and you're going to feel empty at the very end. But for the Christian, for the believer, it is different because if we understand this world that God has given us, we not only can we enjoy these things, but we can enjoy it as an act of worship to him. We can be a better follower of God if we look at how the, Lord, the life that the Lord has given us. If you do anything with God at the center, then you can do all of these things as an act of worship and you bring you some temporal joy in this fallen world. Don't be alarmed at what Solomon is going to say. Solomon wants to bring balance to those that might think in the extremes. So how do we live life to its fullest, knowing that it's coming to an end? How do we live life to its fullest, knowing that it's going to come to the end? Well, there's four things that we need to think about, that we need to embrace. And first is that we need to embrace death. If you want to live life to its absolute fullest, you must understand that death is coming, and you need to embrace that as a fact. Look at verse 1. So I have taken... <clears throat> All this to my heart and explain it that righteous men, wise men, and their deeds are in the hand of God. Man does not know whether it will be love or hatred. Anything awaits him. Solomon seems to go back to the topic that he loves to talk about the most. One of them is death. He loves to talk about this. Why does he always like to talk about death? Is because we are forgetful sometimes. As finite creatures, we forget that one day that we are going to die. And we need to be reminded of that. Solomon wants, to, wants us to embrace the reality that death is coming for all of us. And he says here that he's taken to his heart. This is this idea of he used, he used every ability that he had. He threw himself into trying to learn, and then he understand how the world is, and he's trying to explain it to the righteous and wise men. And again, this implies he's speaking to believers here. He's telling them that there is no guarantees in this life. The only guarantee is that nothing that you think is going to happen is going to happen the way that you think. Only God knows for certain the outcomes of life, because God is the one who ordains it. He is the only one that's truly sovereign, and anything and everything awaits us mere mortals. Psalm says this is to my heart. He, he's working this out, and he concluded that we are not in control. Psalm examined everything under the sun, and his conclusion about life is that we are in God's hand. And depending on who you are, this could bring you great comfort or great distress. Because it should bring you great comfort to know that you are indeed not in control. It should give you great control to know that God is in control over all things. That God is the one that, that orchestrates everything in life. 
And since God is the only one in charge, he's the only one that's sovereign, he's the only one in control, it gives us great peace because we understand that everything that God does is for our good and it's for his glory. You can only control the effort, but you must leave the result to the Lord. We all need to be responsible in how we need to live our lives, but we trust that the outcome belongs to him. And for others, knowing that God is in control and he's the one that controls the outcomes can be horrifying to you because you really want to be in control of your life. You want to do uh, certain steps to ha- guarantee a certain outcome. You, and, and really what you're doing is just elevating your self-determination. You're elevating your personal ambition, and God will put that into check. The fact that God is the ultimate is terrifying to those that want to be God themselves. It's humbling to realize how finite you are. The reality is that all of us are in the hands of God. The righteous, the wise men, we all have this guarantee that things are not going to go the way that we hope. All outcomes, whether good or bad, is in the hands of God. And there's a reason why he writes to the righteous and the wise men. is because these are the people that are religious. They assume that if I have a right relationship with God, then everything is going to go right in my life. That if I believe in God and I have God's favor in this life, then it must go the way that I want. And Solomon's telling them, no, that's not the case. Because sometimes even the righteous suffer in this life. Every second, every moment, and every instance of your life is in the hands of God. And notice he writes, man does not know whether it will be love or hatred. Anything awaits him. He's basically saying you cannot affect the outcome. Whether people like what you did or they hate it, it's not, it's not under your control. The result, whether you love, whether they love it or they hate it, that's in the hands of God as well. Sometimes you can do things with the most noble intentions and it can just backfire into your face. You could think that this is the most loving thing that I'm going to do to you. And as a parent, I understand this very well. Stop eating candy. No, stop it, Dad. I'm going to keep eating all the candy. No, it's good for you that I take away this candy. They don't understand it. The result, I would think, is appreciation. I hope the, that they will respect me because I care for them. But like, no, 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 that's not the outcome that I expected, for them to rebel against me. And other times, we understand that sometimes when we, when we do things with minimal effort, sometimes things just work out. That's also my life. Things I didn't expect always sometimes work out in a way that I did not expect. And that's just how life is. Sometimes the things that you think is going to work out doesn't work out, and things that you don't think is going to work out actually turns out okay. But whatever the outcome may be, God is in control over all things. Verse 2, it is the same for all. There is one fate for the righteous and for the wicked, for the good and for the clean and for the unclean, for the man who offers a sacrifice and for the one who does not sacrifice. As a good man is, so is a sinner. As a swear is, so is the one who is afraid to swear. Solomon uh, goes, he talks about basically everyone in life, the two extremes. He knows that no matter where you are in life, whether you're religious or not, whether you're a believer or an atheist, whether you uh, do right things or wicked things, there is a common fate for all, and that is everybody dies. The two lists is just basically a generalizing of all of us in humanity. Everyone is going to reach this one terminus point, and that is death. All roads lead to death at some point. Verse 3, this is an this is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that there is one fate for all men. Furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil, and insanity is in their hearts throughout their lives. Afterward, they go to the dead. The word evil, in verse 3, 
it's, it's not like moral evil. It, it's just it's the idea of being frustrated. Like Solomon is just frustrated by this. He, he did all the research. He lived life. He's seen people. And his conclusion is that everybody dies. Believers and non-believers uh, believe that they can do something that could extend their life. And the reality is that they can't. That God will take them one day. All people are tempted to believe that somehow they have some cure for death, that they can solve the problem of death on their own. And Solomon is saying that only God determines that, that you will die one day, your life will end, is that this is the one fate for all men. And you notice, he writes, furthermore, the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil and insanities in their hearts throughout their lives. And Solomon's really going back to Genesis here, saying, why do we die? Why do we, why do we all eventually have to have this fate? It is because of sin. And insanity here, insanity is, is almost like the, is what the result of what sin is. Sin makes people insane in that they make dumb decisions. It makes people think illogically. Sin kills a person. Sin makes people dumb and they choose the worst things in life. They choose things that's hard for themselves and other people. Sin kills, but insanity ruins lives. A few months ago, I was playing with my daughter in, our, in her playroom and she asked a very profound, a very astute question. She looked at me and said, Daddy, why are you old? <laughs> and I thought, this is a great gospel moment. I'm going to share the gospel and talk about the depravity man. I told her, the reason why Daddy is old, the reason why all of us get old, the reason why we all get wrinkled and we die is because we all sin. But I gave her hope. I told her, yeah, but then when we die, if we believe in Jesus, we get to have eternal life, and all these wrinkles will go away, and... We can be with Jesus and everything will be good. And my daughter's response is, well, I hope you can stay with us a little longer. But she doesn't deny the fact that I am a sinner. She knows like, oh yeah, you are a sinner. That's why you're getting, oh, that makes sense. She's not justifying anything. She's just saying like, yeah, yeah, but I just hope you can stay with us a little longer. Sin brings forth death. And we don't know when that will be, but we know that death is going to come for us one day. And Solomon teaches us that if you want to appreciate life, you want to live life to its fullest, and the first thing you need to embrace is the fact that you will die one day. Embrace the reality that you will die. And the hourglass of our life tipped to the other side, upside down, the moment we were born. Embrace the reality that death is going to come. Stop trying to stop it, because you won't win. And that's the only way that you can truly embrace life, which is our second point. If you want to live life to the fullest, the first thing you need to do is embrace death, and second, you need to embrace life. This doesn't mean to hold on to life, but rather to, to live life to its absolute fullest. Embrace the life that God has given you. Embrace the life that he has entrusted you with. It's because of his grace that we have every single breath that we have today. Look at verse 4. And whoever is joined with all the living, there is hope. Surely a live dog is better than a dead lion. <clears throat> word hope is strange in the English language because when we think of hope, we think of a possibility or a chance or um, it's not definitive. In the original, it, it's, it's actually a future guarantee even though it has not happened yet. So what Solomon is saying is that there is this hope and he gives us this very provocative metaphor. He says, surely a dead dog is better than a, I'm sorry, a live dog is better than a dead lion. 
Solomon is saying that there is something true about this world, and you could be assured to know with, with absolute certainty that's better to be a dog that's alive than to be a dead lion. Now, in our Western mindset, we think, well, what's wrong with a dog? I like dogs. I like to see my little poodle in the person's bag. That's weird. It's not normal for us to treat dogs this way. There's more dogs in SF than there are children. That's weird. But back then, a dog is like the equivalent to nowadays, like a rat. You know, when you think of a rat, what do you usually do? You squeal, you run, you call the exterminator. You don't pet it. That's how people treated dogs back then. A lion, just like now, we see it as like Mufasa, Lion King, the, these majestic creatures. You know, we think that even back then, if you were able to catch a lion and kill a lion, you get, you know, you get like street cred because it's amazing to be able to take out a lion. And, he's, and Solomon is just making this contrast that it's, if you were to choose between this majestic lion, the king of the jungle, or this gross dog, choose the dog that's alive rather than the majestic lion that's dead. A lion who's dead is dead. But a, a live dog is alive. Psalm is saying it's better to be at the bottom of the animal food chain, the one that people despise and hate. That's better because you're alive than someone that is on the top and is dead. Being alive is something that is worth celebrating because you are alive. You may not be, you may not like where you are in life, in your career, but you are alive. You may not like where you are in the social status, but you are alive. You may not like where your academics are, but you are alive. You may not even like where your marriage is, but just understand that you are alive. The life that you live may not be what you would like, but at least you are alive. People who struggle with discontentment forget the fact that they are alive. It's better to be a low life and be alive than to be looked upon as great, but be dead. If you think that life is bad, at least you are alive. What advantage you have over the dead is that you are alive. You can change. You can make decisions. Now, if you look at this whole book, it may seem as though Solomon is contradicting himself. Because in chapter 4, verse 2, he says, So I congratulate the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still alive. So is he contradicting himself? Is he, is he saying one thing and then saying another thing? Well, it depends on the context. If life is hard, if life is difficult, that's what chapter 4 is about, then yeah, it is better to be dead. If life is very difficult, it may feel that way because, yeah, you're, uh, you're away from oppression. But generally speaking, generally in your life, if you get a chance to live, that is something worth praising for. In this context, chapter 9, he's just speaking of just life in general, that if you get to live, it's better than death. The process of death is not pretty and dying is not easy. But in life, there is still hope. Verse 5, For the living know that they will die, but the dead do not know anything, nor have, any, or nor have they any longer a reward, for their memory is forgotten. It seems to, con to continue what Solomon is saying, that when you're alive, there's hope. You can change. But how is that hope? Well, for those who are alive, they can know what to do next. There's a chance to change your life. You may not... You may not know when you will die, but up until then, you can make the most of this life. If you think rightly about death, then you will think rightly about life. If you are alive, you have an advantage over someone that is dead. You can make the most of the moments that you still have in this life. You will be 
you will you move you live life with more intention because you want to make the most out of your life. If you are still alive, you can still share the gospel with those that are still here. If you are st- if you are alive, you can still hold your spouse. If you are alive, you can still play with your kids. If you are alive, you can still enjoy this life. If you're alive, you can still make memories with those in this life. If you are alive, you can still make the most of this life that God has given you. So live life to the fullest. Live a little with the little life that you have in this life. Death is definite. A people will forget those that die. Everyone who loves you will mourn, and they'll mourn you for a little while, but eventually they will stop mourning, and life just moves on. Again, this shows how insignificant our life can be. We live for a little while, and then we're gone, and people will eventually forget. We may have people that love us, and they will miss us, but eventually they will forget us. If you don't believe me, you should go visit a cemetery. If you ever go there, I bet you that even the workers have no clue who they just buried. They don't know who these people are. They're just stones with names on it. They don't know these people. All of the things that they've done, the good and bad, it's all forgotten. Verse 6, indeed, their love, their hate, their, and their zeal have already perished, and they will no longer have a share in all that is done under the sun. It is interesting, in the Hebrew, love, hatred, and jealousy is like a rhyme, uh, and this idea is that people, uh, the dead people, they're already forgotten. All the things that they've done, all the things that, seem, that are seemingly so significant and impactful, they're gone. You don't remember who did what. All the bad things they've done, you don't remember or even sometimes you feel the impact of those things. All the ugly things they've done, no one remembers these things. Meanwhile, while you're still alive, there is hope for you to live. Better is to be someone that is lowly in life than dead. It's not to say that Solomon doesn't believe in the afterlife. Chapter 3 talks about how God has written eternity inside the hearts of man. So he knows about death, but he doesn't understand or, under, or fully comprehend the richness and the beauties and the glories of heaven. So he's essentially writing what he knows. Living this life, this is what it is. If you want to live life, you need to appreciate life. And for those that are dead, it's over. Because they can't, make any, they can't do what they want anymore. And so for Solomon, instead of focusing on what he doesn't know perfectly, he focuses on what he knows right now, and that is to live in the moment. That right now, at this very moment, you are alive. The reality of life is that death will eventually erase all of those memories. Not only that, but even like the history of things. All of the people that are movers and shakers of the past, eventually they'll forget. The dead will not be able to impact those that are living. You understand that, right? Like people that are on the other side, we can only think what they might think. But there's no way they could come back and have influence and do anything in this realm anymore. Because it's over. Death stops all work. Embrace the life that God has given you. It may not be the quality of life that you would like, but at least you have life. You need to pre- appreciate what you have in this life. It's better to be a lowly intern than a dead CEO. It's better to be a used car salesman that's alive than to be a dead sports car driver. Better to be a janitor who sweeps up dust than to be dust yourself. You get the point, right? Appreciate the life that God has given you. 
you are alive, so enjoy it. And remember, Solomon is speaking to those that fear God. He knows that these people have this eternity with the Lord, and our life should be different. We should be filled with joy and purpose in this life because we know that we belong to him. And for us, we know that life is going to be different. The way that we, our, our, our outlook in life, what we do with our life is going to be radically different because we know that death is coming one day. And we take death seriously, and therefore we take our lives seriously. If you want to live life to its fullest, you need to first embrace death, and then second, you need to embrace life, and third, embrace the gifts that God has given you. <clears throat> our third point is to embrace the gifts, embrace gifts that God has given you. Verse 7, go then, eat your bread in happiness, and drink your wine with cheerful heart, for God has already approved your works. Solomon is saying that there are things in life that you are able to enjoy, and those things are from the Lord. One of the things I realized as I studied this book of Ecclesiastes is that the image of what Solomon is like in my head has radically changed from chapter 1. And I think all of us have this assumption of what Solomon is like. We think he's this skinny, fit dude sitting on the throne. But the more I study Ecclesiastes, he's, he's like the bigger he's getting. Like, I think Solomon was like a fatty. He, this guy loved to eat. His solution to the things in life is to eat. Chapter 2, verse 24, there's nothing better for a man than to eat and to drink and tell himself that his labor is good. Chapter 3, verse 12, I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor. It is a gift from God. Chapter 5, verse 18, here's what I have seen to be good and fitting to eat and to drink and enjoy oneself in all of one's labor in which he toils under the sun during the few years they have left, for this is his reward. Uh, chapter 8, verse 15, so I commended pleasure, for there is nothing good for a man under the sun except to eat and to drink and to be merry. And then later on, chapter 10, verse 19, he's, he writes, men prepare a meal for enjoyment and wine makes life merry and money is the answer to everything. We'll, we'll talk about that some somewhere down the line. So Solomon was like the original foodie. He loved food. And I think he understands something about food <clears throat> that maybe influencers now understand. He understands that food is more than just something that you eat to survive. That food is something to be enjoyed. What makes you different from the animal kingdom is that you know how to enjoy food. The way that animals don't, the, the way that they think about food is just for survival, right? I mean, we have YouTube channels on people eating food. You'll never see a zebra have a YouTube channel and be like, hey, everybody, it's, it's me, Z, Stripey Z here in the Sierra with these green patches of grass. Shout out to the giraffe who told me about this place. Let me eat this grass for you. And then, oh, if you like my content, please like and subscribe. You know, zebras don't think in those terms. Zebras just eat because they need to eat. But we, as humans, we can look at that zebra and then look at the grass that they eat, and we can put that together and call it a salad. We can enjoy food. Food is meant to be enjoyed. And God has given that for us. God has given us taste buds to enjoy food, and it gives us a momentary pleasure. Life is difficult, so enjoy some food. Enjoy some drink. God gave us the food, gave us creativity to, to enjoy food, so enjoy it. Now, don't overthink it. Don't be overindulgent, but don't undervalue it either. 
chapter 8, let your clothes be white all the time and let not oil be lacking on your head. And this is just a way for Solomon saying, just enjoy the social gatherings of, of, with those in your life. Wearing a white clothes is usually for like, things like weddings and um, bar mitzvahs and just celebrations, birthday parties, things like that. He's just saying, look, go to those events. Wear something nice and enjoy yourself. Enjoy with those people in your life. Dress up and enjoy the life that God has given you. And they also say in chapter 8, and not, and not oil be lacking in your head. And our culture has a weird way when we think about oils, that like we want to wipe the oils off our face, and we got to put other oils on our face to supplement the oils. You know, this is weird. This is how our world works. But back then, oil was used for a means of survival. It was used for things like lighting a lamp. It is used for cooking. It is even used for currency. Its primary, primary usage is for survival purposes. However, if you have a lot of oil, you can actually put that on yourself, and that's a way to just soothe all the gross stuff that's going on in your face. And it means if you are able to have these oil, that you have extra, you have a lot, you have abundance, it means that you're blessed. So what Solomon's saying here, dress up and enjoy a meal, have fun. Usually people back then dress up for social gatherings, and Solomon's saying, yeah, what I've discovered in this life, enjoy it. Dress up nicely and drink some, yeah, drink, eat, drink, be merry. Verse 9, enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life, which she has given to you under the sun. But this is your reward in life and your toil, which you have labored under the sun. Now, if you're a husband, I think you should underline this verse. If you ever have a conflict, think about this verse. You have to remember that your wife is a reward for you. Now, I know some of you wives right now are like nudging your husband, like, wake up, wake up. Pastor Ray just said, you got to treat me right, do your job, do your thing. Treat me, understand that I am your reward from the Lord. Amen, Pastor Ray. I'm going to listen to this again. And yes, from Scripture, it's an imperative, it's a command that you enjoy this life. You must enjoy this life with the woman that the Lord has given you. He's instructing husbands to enjoy the wife that God has given because your wife is a reward. And some of you may not think that way, but she is. And notice that is that the, the wife is a reward for the husband and not the other way around. The wife just needs to put up with you. Like, this is like, this is what it was like when Adam and Adam was like, I have all these animals that I can't eat. I'm all by myself. God, give me someone. So he go to sleep. He takes a rib, makes him Eve. And he's like, wow, this is great, God. This is good. It's really good. And Eve's just like, oh, I'm here. What? I, what, what uh, who am I? Oh, you're giving me a name? Oh, look, a serpent talks. Hey, hey, look, fruits. And that's just, she just has to put up with Adam's failure. And that's like how all wives need to be. They need to be willing to put up with their husband's failures. But at the same time, Solomon commands a husband to love your spouse. Now, obviously, this is hypocritical for Solomon because he had a thousand women in his life. He thought, oh, one lady was, is good enough. I think I love her. But what if I had two? And then he gets another wife and thought, well, two is cool, but what if I had three? And he just kept thinking, what if he had more and more and more? And at the very end, he's like, I should have just kept with that one. Life is just so much easier and less complicated when there was just one of them. I mean, he wrote songs of Solomon for the first lady, not for the other 999, sorry ladies, but it was the first one. And Solomon realizes that. He looks back at all the mess that he's created, all the women in his life, and he's like, just, life was just so much better when I just enjoyed the wife of my youth. He realized that he needed to appreciate, he needed to appreciate his wife, and he failed to do so. One of my favorite movie scenes in all of cinema is a scene in the movie Incredibles. 
uh, there's one of the side characters, and he was just like, he sees this helicopter outside of his house, bur- like just burning and, and falling out. He gets scared. He's a superhero, so he thought, oh, he thinks, oh, I need to get into action. So he runs into his closet. And he presses a switch, and his the suit thing is missing. So he asks his wife, honey, where's my suit? And she's like off panel, like, oh, I think it's somewhere. I put it away. And he's like, we're in great danger. Where's the suit? And she's like, whoa, 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 whoa. my reservation is in great danger. And he gets frustrated at her. He's like, woman, this is for the greater good. And her response is like biblical. She's like, the greater good? I'm the greatest good you'll ever have in this life. And I'm like, amen. That's like <laughs> biblical right there. And it's hard for some of us as husbands to think that our wives are reward. But you need to see her as that way because you are blessed if you are married. Husbands, eye contact. Be thankful for the wife that God has given you. Life can be hard, but enjoy being with your wife. Now, some of you husbands look at me, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, but what if the reason why I can't enjoy my life is because of my wife? She's the one that's causing all of these conflicts. Now, the implied command here is that you enjoy one another, that you learn to put up with each other but love each other. And then if you're wondering, Solomon does say, gives commands here in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 13, a foolish son is destruction to his father, but a contentious of a wife are a constant dripping. And that, what does that mean? That means like, you know what water dripping is like when you're sleeping? It's like tick, tick, tick. It gets annoying. He's saying, Solomon's saying that a contentious wife is like that. And again, he knows he had a thousand of them. So he understands how difficult a contentious wife can be. Proverbs 21, verse 19. It is better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. He's saying, like, it's better to burn in the sun and freeze at night all by yourself in in a desert than to live in a warm, comfy home but with a vexing uh, wife. Chapter 25, verse 24, it is better to live in a corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Now, we understand as Christians, we don't operate in sin. We operate by God's word. So in your, in your marriage, you need to, husbands, you need to love the way that Christ loved the church. And wives, you need to learn to respect and love your husband as well because marriage is a gift from the Lord. Now, I'm going to just say this up front. If, you, if any of you that are single or dating and you one day decide, I'm going to ask Pastor Ray to marry me. I'm going to add some things to those vows. You know those vows like, oh, in sickness and health and happiness. I'm going to add in foolishness, in wisdom, when they're acting, when they're acting wisely or not, I'm still going to commit my life to this other person. Just letting you guys out there. I'll probably never get invited ever again. But understand, the Solomon here it's trying to tell the person that if you want to make, enjoy your life to full, enjoy the gift that God has given you, and one of those gifts is your marriage. Enjoy your wife. Cherish her because she is the reward of your life. Life is hard enough, so don't make it hard for one another. I saw this video when I was in seminary. I wish I had kept that video. It was this pastor that he was in a eulogy for his own wife's funeral. I think I might have shared this with some of you. But he was just talking about how life has changed the last few weeks. He talked about how I just noticed that there's just so much more dishes in the sink and there aren't that many clothes in the closet anymore. And this is when he realized that his wife was quiet in spirit and was taking care of the home so he was able to do the ministry. It was only after she was gone that he realized that he took her for granted. Now, husbands, you need to realize that 
your wife cares about you more than you will ever realize. And wives, in the same way, understand that your husband does things for you that you may not even be aware of, but cherish them. Don't take them for granted with the short life that you have in this world. Now, I know others of you are singing, Pastor Ray, what if I'm single? And my answer to that is, look, there's a lot of things that, that Solomon's telling you to enjoy. You may not have a wife, but enjoy the food, enjoy the clothing, enjoy all these other things. In fact, verse 10 here, whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your might, for there is no activity or planning or knowledge or wisdom shield where you are going. It's easy to be discontent. It's easy to think that, oh, I don't have a wife or I don't have this. But look, there's all of these other things that you can enjoy. And one of these things is work. And I think verse 10 is actually more than just work. Whatever your hands do, this is anything you want to do. Anything. Whatever hobbies you enjoy, if you want to you know, build Legos for a living, okay, that's fine. If you want to build cars, you want to build little train tracks, you want to fly a kite, you want to jump off planes without a parachute and see if you can survive, yeah, enjoy all of those things for the glory of God. And this is part of living in this fallen world, that God sometimes gives us gifts and things that we could enjoy. And why is that? For there is no planning when you die. So all of the plans that you want to do, you won't be able to do that when you're dead. If you want to go on that vacation, go for it. If you want to go on that cruise, do it. You can only do it in this life. So enjoy the life that God has given you. Again, this entire book is, assumes that you are a believer. Remember, he's talking about those God fears. If you are a believer, you will look at God's gifts differently in this life. You will cherish these things. You will enjoy it. You will become a greater worshiper of God because of it. Whatever your heart desires and whatever the Lord has given you, these are all gifts from him. And if there's something you want to enjoy in life, you should praise the Lord that he's given you that to enjoy. Whatever it may be, it should make you a better worshiper because you realize that God has graciously given you this to enjoy. Whether it be food, whether it be drink, whether it be a spouse, clothing, hobbies, whatever it is. You do those things as an act of worship, and at the end of those things, you praise the Lord. Lord, thank you for my wife. Thank you for these hobbies. Thank you for food. Thank you for clothes. Whatever it may be, at the end of the day, thank God that you have the gifts that he's given you. Because you don't deserve it. And life is short, so enjoy the gift that God has given you. Don't waste the life and the opportunity that life has to offer. So not only do you make, live life to the fullest when you embrace death, when you embrace life, and when you embrace the gift that God has given you, but our fourth point is that you need to embrace death some more. Our last point, embrace death more. Verse 11, I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift and the battle is not, for the war, not to the warriors and neither is bread to the wise nor wealth to the discerning nor favor to men of ability for time and chance overtake them all. Solomon is again reminding us of death. And why is that? And so in case you, you're so overly indulgent with the gifts that you have, death is going to happen to you. And that's why he does it. He, we, he, he repeats things because we need to hear things over and over again. Verse 11 is that under the sun, just again, anything in, uh, in this fallen world. So the race is not to the swift. This means that there are trained athletes, and you would think that they are going to be the one that wins the race, but they're not going to be the one that gets the gold medal. Sometimes, in, even in war, the people that are the elite army, they may not win every single battle. As here, bread to the wise, people who are really good at making money somehow still go hungry. Nor wealth to discern. This means the wisest person who can make money, sometimes things just don't work out for them. The economy can crash, or things might go well. There might be some lawsuits. They have all this money, and in an instant, it's all gone. And notice at the end, nor favors to the men of ability. There are just some guys that, are, that will get ahead, and you're wondering, like, well, how did he get that job? 
yeah, no one understands. Only God decides. He providentially moved in, and someone that you think does not deserve that position is in that high position. And these are just the ironies of life, whether it be wisdom, victory, food, wealth, favor, and success. There is no certainty in this life because, as at the end, at the end of that verse, <clears throat> time and chance will get them all. And time just means that you cannot outlast times. So eventually, your skills are going to deteriorate because you are in a fallen world, and time just keeps on ticking. Right? There's a reason why you don't see certain athletes go on forever. That's why records are broken. That's why it's so phenomenal. We think, oh, no one's going to beat this record. And eventually, someone breaks it. Or if it's not time, then chance will get them. That means there's always a possibility that you will fail no matter how much you prepare for it. Now, you look at this list, it seems strange. It seems like there's all these contradictions and scenes and exceptions in life, and that's what Solomon is trying to get at. That you cannot prepare for everything in this life. Sometimes life will just not turn out the way that you, that you expect. It may not even turn out what's best for you. You may think that things are going one way because your life seems so pleasant now, but not always. Time and chance will ruin all of those things. Verse 12, moreover, man does not know his time. Like fish caught in a treacherous net and birds trapped in a snare, so the sons of men are ensnared at an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. Death comes suddenly and unexpectedly. One problem of life is that there's no way to gain an advantage over death. I think that's why he made this list, because some of these lists, you think they should have an advantage. They should be the one that wins. They should get ahead in life. And sometimes that's not the case. There are so many things that, there's so many ways in which people die, and there's no way of escaping it. Sometimes things are just going to be surprising to you, and that's just the way it is. In 1 Kings chapter 22, it talks about this king that thought, okay, let's fake, this little fake out. You go in this chair, he has a little dummy chair with someone else in it, and he goes on this other chariot, and think, oh, they're trying to hunt me down, so you could go on this, the royal chariot, and it'll be safe for me, but, you know, they'll go after you, and he thought that he's safe. And it said in 1 Kings that this random archer just randomly shot an arrow, and it just happened to fly into the air, and not only did it penetrate the chariot, but it hit the part of the armor that there's a little gaping hole and the king died. It seems completely random, but that's just how life is sometimes. Some people are going to wake up thinking that life is going to be a certain way, then event, some tragedy happens, and they go to bed a whole different person. You can think that you're perfectly fine, and also you get a call from the doctor that said, I think you need to come in. We see something in your scans. You can be on your way home from school or work, and then you, something happens and you aren't able to get home. You could be doing ministry one moment and then enter into glory the next. Everything can seem so normal in one moment until it isn't. This is what Solomon's trying to get at. Just like the creatures, the, these little fishes and birds that woke up and thought, fish thought, I'm just going to swim over here. The birds, I'm going to fly to that tree. They thought life was just normal until something changes. Something traps them. They're caught in the ever-changing circumstance. And death is like that. Death happens to all of us. There is no advantage. No matter how much you try to, to get an advantage, sometimes things will not make sense in this side of eternity. You find that you cannot have victory over 
death in this life. Death can seem so random from our perspective. And sometimes the healthy person lives a crazy long life. And another time, an unhealthy person lives an even longer life. I just saw a video recently where someone said that the secret to her living past 100 is that she drinks three Dr. Peppers every single day. I didn't even know Dr. Pepper existed for 103 years. But that was her prescription. But if you imagine someone that's a diabetic, it's like, no, you need to cut off all sodas in your life. Because if you don't, then you're going to die by the time you reach 60. Why does that make sense? It doesn't. There's no rhyme or reason that people can figure out why they die. Therefore, death is often so surprising to us because we think that we have all the knowledge in the world, and that should make us figure things out. Life is filled with things that are unknown. Remember that Solomon, again, he's speaking to those that fear God. If you are a believer, then you will look at death differently. Embrace the reality that you're going to die one day, and if you know that that is true, then every, you must make every moment of your life count. If God came down right now and told you that you're, you have 40 days to live, how would you use those 40 days? Would you just go back and do the most mundane things? No, you would do all that you can, knowing that, uh, every, that your, their time here is limited. You would do things that you would enjoy. You also do things with more intense, like you'll share the gospel with people. You might go to the skydiving thing or you eat that cheeseburger with a trillion calories. You might actually do those things. You live life to its fullest because you know that life is going to end one day. So I'll go back to the original question. If you're going, how are you going to live your life knowing that you're going to die one day? And I trust that if you embrace death, you embrace the life that God has given you, and you embrace the gift that God has given you in that life, and then remember that you're going to die one day, that you will live your life to its fullest. Because you understand that in this life, all the pleasures in this life, it's a foretaste of the pleasures of heaven. When you think about the fellowship, the companionship that, that, that Solomon talked about with his wife, you understand that we are the church, the bride of Christ. We will also enjoy that sweet communion with our Savior. You understand that when the white clothes that Solomon tells people to wear to go into the gathering to have party, we know that in the book of Revelation, we will all have crowns and we will all have these new garments and all of these things that we could enjoy in and glory. You think about the food and the wine and all the things that work. Even everything will be great and it will be pleasurable and because there's no sin in it anymore. So every time you enjoy this fleeting life, whatever it may be, it should make you think towards eternity. Make, think about what the future would hold. Like, this is fun, but there's something even greater, and it should make us greater worshipers of God. We should desire that kingdom that is to come because this life is short. But in the meantime, God has given us little foretastes of what that future may be. And that's how we can glorify God with the short life that we have. In whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, you do it for the glory of God. It's for God's grace that we have all of these enjoy in, the, in this temporal world. But these are just a foretaste of the riches of heaven. The things of this world, it should point us to the greater pleasure that is with our Savior. Let's go to time. Let's close our time in prayer. Lord God, we're thankful for your grace. We don't deserve any type of joys and pleasures in life 
but yet you give those to us so that we can know you and to worship you better. These things, this life is the world that you've created for, for your glory and for your purposes. And we, may we never idolize the gifts that you've given us or the life that you've given us, but we, may we be thankful to you for you're the giver of all good gifts. Cause us to love you more each day, knowing that we deserve nothing but the wrath of God. But by your grace, we not only get to enjoy eternity with you in paradise, but we could even enjoy some of the sweet things in this life. Lord, give us just a mindfulness of that. Make us more aware of what you've given us and give us a heart of gratitude and thankfulness. In your son's name we pray. Amen.